last 15. Respect all, fear none. Into the upper deck. Intensity is not a perfume. Hello, Utah Street. Five, four, three, two, one. Welcome into the Mass and All Access Podcast Series Recap. Your friendly neighborhood host, Bobby Blanco, here. Boy, do we have a lot to get to. The Nationals continue their seven-game road trip to Chicago, where they wrapped it up with a four-game set against the Cubs at Wrigley Field. And like I said, a lot went down this week. We have a lot to get to. Jam-packed episode, hearing a lot of highlights from players, from Davey Martinez. A lot, a lot to get to in this episode. Entering the series, the Nationals were 16-20 and on the season, three games out of first place in the division behind the New York Mets. They were coming off a series win in Arizona, and that's something they need to keep doing, which is winning series. Win two out of three, Win three out of four in this case against the Cubs. Uh, hopefully to slowly get back into the mix at the top of the standings. Let's break it down. Monday night was all about the return of John Lester and Kyle Schwarber to Wrigley Field. It was an emotional day for both players to be sure as the Cubs fable gave them each numerous ovations throughout pregame warmups and when they each took the field to start the game. They played a tribute video to Kyle Schwarber before the game on the big screen at Wrigley Field who took it all in while doing his pregame warmup tosses. The Nationals infield even let John Lester take the mound by himself in the bottom of the first so he could get the ovation he deserved from the crowd. But then it was on to business, both players saying in their respective Zoom calls ahead of Monday's matchup that once the game started, it was all about beating the Cubs. But unfortunately, it wouldn't work out that way for the homecoming heroes as the Cubs will go on to win the opener 7-3. Perhaps it was a little too much familiarity with John Lester and how he likes to attack hitters from the Chicago side because the Cubs lineup was aggressive against the lefty from the get-go. They hit back-to-back singles in the bottom of the first to set up Anthony Rizzo's sack fly to make it 1-0. And then they stayed aggressive from there. They got a two-run homer from a struggling Jason Hayward in the second, then a first-pitch homer from Wilson Contreras in the third. So 10 batters in, Lester had surrendered four runs, which equaled his total from his first three starts of the season. But the Nats' offense will give him a chance to get back in it. Trey Turner was able to lift the ball deep to left field for a solo homer, his 10th on the season, good for third in the National League. Uh That's a loud sound. See you later almost out of the ballpark Trey Turner number 10 and the Nats are on the board then Kyle Schwarber greeted his old teammates and fans with a two-run shot of his own to deep center field to bring the Nats to within four to three of the Cubs Schwarber to center half watching it see you later welcome back to Chicago Kyle Schwarber and it's a one-run game After the game, Kyle confirmed that Cubs third baseman Chris Bryant, who was playing left field that night, left Schwarber some candy in the outfield between innings. So Kyle had a Twix bar for some extra power before that home run. But the Nats offense would pretty much go quiet after that. John Lester would serve up his third homer of the night, this time an opposite field shot in a sixth to Javi Baez. And that would be it for his evening. He did receive a nice ovation from the Wrigley crowd as he walked off the field. But Lester wasn't interested in acknowledging it in the moment. Yeah, I mean, that that's a tough one. Um, you know, I have to, you, you know, you have to also realize that that I'm a national and I'm I'm playing for these guys, you know, and I do appreciate it as as a as a person, as an individual. But, you know, I also can't be I didn't pitch, 
great. I didn't pitch terrible, I didn't think, but I can't be tipping my hat walking off the field like that, being down 5-3 at that particular moment in the game. So, you know, to, to, to is it a like I said, is it appreciated 100 um, percent? It's a great moment, but I, I just, you know, I can't do that being in the situation I'm in. So it was a nice beginning, but a bad ending to the night for Lester, Schwarber, and the Nats. Kyle Schwarber even saying after the game that, yeah, it did feel pretty good to hit the home run against his former team who basically let him go this past offseason, even though he doesn't really hold any grudges against the Cubs. Lester fell to 0-2 on the season, a record not very indicative of how well he's pitched in his handful of starts so far. Three runs, six hits, one error for the Nats. Seven runs, 12 hits, zero errors for the Cubs. Josh Bell added a two-hit day with a walk, but after this game, Starling Castro had gone 0 for 19 with 10 groundouts since extending his hitting streak to 11 games late last week. He did come up with the bases loaded in the eighth with a chance for a big knock and hit a hard ground ball that looked like an easy RBI single, but he was robbed by second baseman Nico Horner, to, who made an outstanding diving stop to make the play at first. The Nats struggled to get the ball off the ground for much of this game, which is a shame because the Chicago wind was really helping any ball in the air this night. Uh, through the seventh inning, the Nats had put 18 balls into play. Only four of them were hit in the air, and all four of those resulted in hits, two singles and two homers. The 14 balls they hit on the ground, they were all outs. There was still some love in the air between the Cubs and their former teammates who now wear the curly W on their caps Tuesday night. After Kyle Schwarber enjoyed a tribute video before Monday night's game, it was John Lester's turn to have his moment since he started the first game on the mound. He was treated with a tribute video on the big scoreboard at Wrigley Field and was given the famed W flag that flies off after Cubs victories. This one covered with signatures and notes from his former teammates. But after that, the pleasantries were over and it was time to play ball again. Though this time it happened in a different way, the result was the same as Game 1 as the Cubs showed the Nationals a rude time in the friendly confines by handing the visitors a 6-3 loss. It was a back-and-forth affair during this rainy night at Wrigley Field. The Cubs twice grabbed leads in the middle frames, and twice the Nats battled back to tie the game and even had a few chances to take the lead themselves, but they couldn't grab that lead, something that had eluded them through the first two games of this series. That left them vulnerable to fall behind yet again. And as we got deeper into this game, you kind of got that feeling that it was only a matter of time before a big blow did the Nats in on this one. And it finally did. With the game tied 3-3 entering the bottom of the sixth, Will Harris entered in place of starter Patrick Corbin to face the number five through seven hitters in the Cubs lineup. But the outing was doomed from the start as he issued a leadoff walk on four pitches to Matt Duffy, then surrendered a go-ahead two-run homer to David Bodie on a 88-mile-per-hour cutter up and outside in the zone two batters later. Not exactly where Harris wanted to put that pitch. Uh, no, I, it was it was up. Um, okay. I was probably trying to do some ground ball right there, so I was looking more for a, a down-and-away cutter in that uh, situation. Um you know, I don't, I don't think I've faced him before. So I was figuring that a down and away cutter there would be, uh, you know, a safe, safe place to, uh, keep him on the ground and, uh, you know, try and roll a double play. Just, uh, didn't, didn't execute it at all. Was it, um, is this kind of something that could just happen in the course of a normal season or is there any concern level given that you're still kind of trying to figure out how to work with, you know, the kind of stuff you were dealing with early in the season? Like, did it feel like that was cropping up at all or was this just a normal kind of bad outing for you? Um, probably a little bit of both. It's hard to like decode, uh, you know, sure. what's what, um, I know tonight my stuff was, uh, 
probably the worst it's ever been in my career. Um, and, you know, to have the outcome that I had wasn't a surprise, I guess, for uh, the way that I was pitching. So um, could have had good fortune. Could He could have popped it up. I and mean, that's the game that we play, right? You know, it's like you can go out there right. and see stuff and still get the job done, which I expected to do. Um, but that – you know, that wasn't the case. So. Ian Happ would add a homer off Wander Suero to make it a 6-3 final. Harris took the loss, falling to 0-1. Keegan Thompson earned the win, and Craig Kimbrell the save. Three runs, nine hits, one error for the Nats. Six runs, 13 hits, one error for the Cubs. Patrick Corbin started the game for the Nats and had a pretty good outing in his first start since the birth of his son on Friday. He pitched five innings, giving up three runs and eight hits with two walks and four strikeouts. He ran to some bad luck on the evening, the Cubs finding some holes in the defense, and the rain provided slippery conditions all night. But he issued eight ground balls to work with his slider and sinker, and even mixing in his changeup against the Cubs' righties. The Nats had some decent offensive outings from their lineup as well. Trey Turner had an RBI, Juan Soto had a two-hit night finally, Ryan Zimmerman added two hits himself, and Starling Castro broke his 0-for-21 slump with a solo homer to lead off the sixth. But collectively, the Nats couldn't get clutch hitting when needed it the most with runners in scoring position. As a team, they went 2-for-12 with runners in scoring position and left 11 men on base. Davey Martinez saying after the game that they need to be more aggressive at the plate. I mean, I mean we, you know, this is one of those days again. I mean, um, just not driving, in, you know, having that one big hit, driving in that one key run. Uh, I mean, Starling comes out the first inning, even though he didn't hit the ball hard. I mean, Rizzo makes a good play. I mean, uh, that ball falls in there, you know, we get something going early. Uh, just ain't happening right now, but uh, we got to keep our heads up. We got to stay positive and uh, we got to come back tomorrow. You know, um, I've seen some good at bats, you know, Juan has some good at bats today. Uh, you know, uh, again, you know, Josh Bell pinch had a good at bats, them had good at bats. Uh, so, but you know, with guys on base, man, we got to, you know, we, we got to, I think we got to be a little bit more aggressive. I really do. And in the strike zone uh, early in, in counts, you know, not work. I'm seeing a lot of two strike, two strike hitting with, uh, with men on base. Um, we got, we got, like I said, the first two pitches, the, probably the best two pitches you're going to hit. I want us to be a little bit more aggressive with guys on base and, and get the ball up where you could drive the ball. Well, the Nats certainly got more aggressive in game three of this series, both at the plate and out of the dugout. It's just never an easy night. at Wrigley Field when the Nats are in town, is it? There was a lot going on on Wednesday, but I guess the biggest takeaway should be that the Nats did win four to three to finally take one in this series against the Cubs. But Man, like I said, a lot going on both on the field and off it. To start, Davey Martinez announced before the game that a vaccinated Nats player had tested positive for COVID-19 that morning, and one other unvaccinated player was deemed a close contact and placed into quarantine. We found out after the game that it was Eric Fetty who tested positive and Tanner Rainey who was deemed a close contact. So the Nationals recalled Paulo Espino and Kyle McGowan to take those roster spots who They were luckily uh, on the taxi squad in Chicago with the team. Then we get into the game, and we're going to forget by the end of this that we had Max Scherzer facing Jake Arrieta in a showdown of two former Cy Young Award winners. The Cubs grabbed an early 1-0 lead in the second, leaving the Nats still without a lead in this series up to that point. But they finally grabbed that elusive lead in the third on an RBI single by Trey Turner, who then moved his way over to third and scored on a wild pitch by Arrieta. The Nats increased that lead to 3-1 to one, thanks to an RBI single by Victor Robles. That should have been a double, but Victor rolled his ankle rounding first base on his birthday nonetheless in what looked like to be a pretty serious injury. 
He was limping and hobbling around, and after resting it a bit and trying it out, he was able to stay in the game at least for a couple more innings before Andrew Stevenson replaced him in the seventh. David Martinez said afterwards that Robles' ankle got more sore as the game went on, so they wanted to take him out to get some x-rays. Okay, halfway through this game and still so much more to get to. Top of the fifth, Juan Soto hits his fourth home run of the season, his second extra base hit in as many nights. This one was a moonshot off Arrieta that hit the scoreboard in right field at Wrigley. Got a breaking ball. It's high in the air to right. Look at it fly. See you later. Elevation indeed. All right, top of the seventh is when things got really spicy. Everyone remembers what happened to Trey Turner in game six of the 2019 World Series when he was called out for running in the way of a throw to first base, even though he was in the baseline, yada, yada, yada. Well, the same thing happened Wednesday night with Turner leading off the seventh. He struck out on a ball in the dirt that skipped to the backstop, so he took off for first base, and Wilson Contreras' throw was both wide and late, but home plate umpire Chris Conroy called Turner out for interference, and Davey Martinez absolutely lost it in an epic tirade on the field. Of course, he was ejected very quickly, but before making his exit, Davey got his money's worth. He went after first base picked it up off its peg, slammed it to the ground, and then kicked it. And if you haven't seen the video yet, go find it. It's incredible. And of course, that's one of the dumbest rules in baseball. And Davey Martinez and Trey Turner let off some steam over the whole situation after the game. Honestly, I I am beside myself now with this whole, you know, out of the baseline thing. I really am. I mean, it's it's I think it's awful. And um, there's two parts of the rule. I get it, you know. The judgment call, the second part of the rule is the judgment call. For me, it's a bad judgment, plain and simple. I mean, you can't run. You know, if you if you if you want to run on the other side of the baseline, but the base over there, plain and simple. That's what that's I argue that I tell him that all the time. But if he's running straight down the, the line and the catcher makes a bad throw, what do you do? What do you do? I mean, he was he didn't even run hard and he made it to first base. And he's gonna come out and call him out. I'm over it. I'm really, I'm over it. I'm tired of it. I don't, I, I, I'm going to argue a thousand times when that happens. I really am. I'm sick of it. I mean, you guys saw it. It's a brutal call and I'm done hiding it. I really am. So um, I don't know what they're going to do about it, but it's awful. And it's, it wasn't just today. I've seen it go on and on and on. And, and they need to do something about it. I mean, really, they, you know, they need to do something about that. Um, the first base umpire told me I was out. So I didn't realize until I was walking back to first base uh, and I heard the first base umpire basically told me to go to the dugout. So I was a little confused. Did it feel familiar? <laughs> uh, yeah, very. Uh, well, it was a different play, different. I would think it was worse, but different play, different situation, but I, I guess familiar, I guess. You, you, you think tonight's was worse? Oh, by far. I mean, I mean, I don't even know where to start, but um, I've been approved for many curse words. I'm going to try to save our PR guy, but I've been I've been approved. But um, yeah, it's it's a bad it's bad it's just bad. I don't know. I don't. I I, I know they're trying out there and, and this and that, and they're trying to do their job, but that's just it's terrible. It's, it's bad, and um, I think that was worse than 
game six. Davey and Trey obviously both very upset over the whole situation after that one, and they should be. I mean, they're 100% right. Something has to be done because we can't keep doing this dance every single time Trey runs down the first baseline with the catcher trying to throw him out. I mean, it's it's just so absurd, so ridiculous. Where is he supposed to go? I don't know where uh, Trey is supposed to run in that situation other than on the base paths. And, you know, I'm not a big fan of the – uh, strike out on swinging on a strike three, but the ball gets past the catcher, so you're allowed to run to first base rule anyway. I think that's a dumb rule. I'm with Max Scherzer on that one. Where, you know, why are we rewarding uh, batters who swing at bad pitches that get past the catcher and allow them to try to take first base? Uh, I don't think that should be the case. But if that is the case, then what what's the point if we're just gonna let the runner? be out anyways when he tries to take first base and the catcher tries to make the throw and they're just going to call interference. I mean, my interpretation of the rule is if in that situation, all the catcher has to do is throw the ball to the back of the runner and then he's out because that's interference, even regardless of where he is, either in the base path or not. uh, It sounds like no matter what happens, he's in the way of the catcher trying to make a throw. Uh, and, and so that's going to be an interference call every single time. I'm not blaming the umpires in the situation. I am blaming the rule. So a difficult situation uh, right there and something MLB needs to fix. Anyways, with a 4-2 lead in the bottom of the ninth, Tim Bogart took over uh, managerial duties with uh, for David Martinez. Uh, he called upon Brad Hand to close out the win. He gave up a home run to Javi Baez to make it 4-3. And then Chris Bryant singled and stole second base, but the lefty was able to stay on track and strike out Matt Duffy for his fifth save. Scherzer took the win, now 4-2. Arietta fell to 4-4. Four four. Obviously, Brad Hand the save. Four runs, nine hits, zero errors, and one tossed first base for the Nationals. Three runs, eight hits, zero errors for the Cubs. Turner actually finished the day 2-for-5. Soto finished 3-for-5, and Robles was 2-for-3 before his early exit, while Kyle Finnegan, Daniel Hudson each pitched more than an inning uh, and earned holds out of the bullpen. So after all of that chaos on Wednesday, there still needs to be a serious conversation about the starting pitching staff. After Eric Fetty's strong start on Sunday, he's making a serious push to stay in the rotation even after the return of Steven Strasburg. And even though Fetty's now on the COVID IL, Joe Ross still needed to bounce back after his rough outing in Arizona to improve his case to stay in the starting five. And he was given an early cushion in Thursday afternoon's getaway day game at Wrigley thanks to back-to-back home runs by Josh Bell and Kyle Schwarber in the first inning. And that's a high fly ball to deep left center. See you later, Josh Bell. And they're approaching the top 10 in home runs. Has Schwarber done it? Opposite field. See you later. His second of the series. But that lead would not last long as Ross gave up one run in the second, two in the third, and another in the fourth for a 4-2 Cubs lead. Though only two of those runs were earned thanks to an error by Starling Castro. Ross exited the game after three and two-thirds innings, the four runs, two earned, and five hits, including a home run to Ian Happ, who went deep twice in this game. Not the biggest resume booster for for Ross, even though, like I said, with Fetty on the IL, he'll still get another chance, at least one more chance, in the rotation and make another start. Meanwhile, the Nats offense put eight runners on base in the first six innings, but only scored the two runs off the Bell and Schwarber homers in the top of the first. Then they went through a stretch of six of seven batters striking out and kept quiet from there in this 5-2 to two final. 
Joe Ross fell to two and four on the season. Justin Steele earned his second win for the Cubs, and Craig Kimbrell locked up his ninth save. Two runs, six hits, two errors for the Nats. Five runs, ten hits, zero errors for the Cubs. Turner, Soto, Bell, Schwarber, and Castro all got on base at least once in this game. But after that, only an Alex Avila walk and a Josh Harrison pinch hit double provide any base runners from the lower half of the lineup. Sam Clay, Kyle McGowan, and Will Harris all had scoreless outings out of the pen, while Austin Voth gave up Ian Happ's second homer of the game in his two innings of work. The Nats are now 17-23 on the season, four and a half games out of first place in the division behind the Mets, and are heading home to start a long homestand with increased attendance, by the way, at Nationals Park, with the Battle of the Beltways against their BW Parkway rival Baltimore Orioles. And Davey Martinez did confirm that Steven Strasburg would return to make Friday night's start in the opener at Nationals Park, so that's some good news. Let's take a look at the opposite dugout. The Baltimore Orioles are managed by Brandon Hyde, another former Cubs bench coach that turned manager, just like Davey Martinez. Uh, he's in his third season. They went 25 and 35 last year, finished fourth in the division. They are now 17 and 26, currently last in the American League East, eight and a half games behind the Red Sox. Over the last 10 games, they're two and eight, and go back a little further, they're actually just two and 10 over their last 12 games since John Means is no hitter in Seattle earlier this month. And don't worry, the Nationals will miss Means this weekend, who is by far their best pitcher, though the Nats are pretty good against left-handers, so that might have been an interesting matchup that we're missing out on. Season series, of course, this is the first battle of the Beltways of the season. The O's went 4-2 against the Nats last year and 2-2 two and two the year before. And in case you're wondering, the Birds do lead the all-time series between the two rivals, 45-35, and they are 22-18 in D.C. Pitching probables for the weekend, Friday night's opener, right-hander Jorge Lopez will take on Steven Strasburg, who returns from the I.L., 7.05 start on Masson. Saturday, late afternoon game. Left-hander Bruce Zimmerman will face left-hander John Lester. A 4.05 start on Masson. And then Sunday's finale, right-hander Matt Harvey makes his return to Nationals Park, this time as a member of the O's. He'll face Patrick Corbin. A 1.05 start on Masson. The Orioles are in year three of their rebuild under general manager and executive vice president Mike Elias, who came over from the Houston Astros, and skipper Brandon Hyde. After making the postseason three times between 2012 and 2016, they finished last in the American League East for three consecutive years before improving to fourth last year. Though they went through two seasons in which they lost 115 and 108 games, that did net them the number one overall pick and number two overall pick in consecutive drafts. Of course, with the number one pick in 2019, they took catcher Adley Rutschman out of Oregon State, who is currently the number two overall prospect in all of baseball. Rushman headlines a farm system that currently has five in the top 100 prospects list, according to MLB Pipeline. And they have the fifth ranked farm overall, the highest ranking for an Orioles organization that before Elias arrived was well known for their depleted minor league system. They have talent waiting in the wings, but they are still a couple of years away from seeing that talent make an impact at the big league level. So you won't have to worry about any of those names this weekend. Let's discuss who you will see play for the Birds. Let's play a quick game. Can you name anyone on the Orioles roster not named Trey Mancini? If you answered yes, I'm not quite sure I believe you. If you answered no, Mancini isn't a bad place to start, but there might be a few names you'll recognize. Of course, Trey's story has been well documented, and he's the best story in baseball this year, no matter how he or the Orioles finish this season. The fact that he's playing Major League Baseball a year removed from a colon cancer diagnosis is incredible in and of itself. 
He beat that head on. Uh, very impressive, and 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 obviously the the greatest story that we'll see this year. Um, I'm so happy for him on a personal level. He's going to be comeback player of the year. And maybe not just because of what he's accomplished off the field, but also because of what he's doing on it. Mancini is batting 274 with 10 home runs and a major league leading 39 RBIs. So don't give him chances with runners in scoring position. Setting the table for Mancini is Cedric Mullins, who has been a revelation for the O's in the leadoff spot and playing center field. He's hitting just under 300 with a 369 on base percentage and 50 hits. And Brandon Hyde has two former Phillies in his infield with Freddie Galvis hitting 258 with five homers and 14 RBIs. And Michael Franco, who is now hitting below 200 with four home runs, but who has 29 RBIs to go with it. And former national Pedro Severino should be behind the plate a fair amount this weekend. Though he's just hitting 243 with one homer on the season, he does hit 429 with a 1288 OPS in six games against his former team. And you won't see the big money first baseman Chris Davis this weekend. Not that he's been playing much to begin with, but he underwent hip surgery earlier this week and is out for the rest of the 2021 season. But the Orioles will get outfielder Anthony Santander back for this series. On the mound to start the series against Steven Strasburg is right-hander Jorge Lopez. The six-year journeyman is 1-4 with a 6.35 ERA over eight starts this season. Earlier in the year, he was getting much more of a leash during his outings, pitching four or more innings in each of his first seven starts but he only lasted two innings in his last start against the Yankees, giving up five runs, four earned, and eight hits before Brandon Hyde went to some long relief arms out of the bullpen. While spending time in Milwaukee and Kansas City before Baltimore, Lopez has faced the Nats three times in his career. All three were in the relief role, and he has an even three ERA against Washington. Left-hander Bruce Zimmerman gets the start on Saturday. He's a 26-year-old rookie who came over to the Orioles from the Braves in the Kevin Gaussman and Darren O'Day trade back in 2018. Local boy, he's a Baltimore native and went to Loyola Blakefield for high school and started his college career at Towson University. He's currently 2-3 with a 4.79 ERA in seven appearances, six starts. His last outing was the first one he didn't get the start of the season, but he pitched five and a third innings of one-run ball in relief against the Yankees. And look who's back to start Sunday's finale, old friend Matt Harvey, who signed a minor league deal with the O's this offseason and is now their number two starter in the rotation. Of course, spending the first six seasons of his career with the Mets, the Dark Knight, as he's known, was traded in May of 2018 to the Reds and since has also spent time with the Angels and Royals before joining the Birds. He's had some ups and downs this season, which is now the staple of his career at 3-4 and four with a 5.93 ERA in nine starts. But he's coming off his worst outing as an Oriole by far, giving up six runs and seven hits with two home runs in just one and two-thirds innings on Tuesday against the Rays. In his career, he's 3-7 and seven with a 3.70 ERA in 17 games, 16 starts against the Nats, and 1-4 and four with a force 91 ERA and 8 starts at Nationals Park, though he hasn't faced them since 2018. Entering the week, the O's bullpen ERA was at 350, which was 6th best in the majors, though after a rough 3 games against the Rays, that ERA has inflated to 405, which now puts them 17th in the big leagues. Right-hander Cesar Valdez has performed well in his closer's role, with a 2.65 ERA and 8 saves in 11 chances. Left-handers Paul Fry and Tanner Scott sport 2.81 and 2.12 ERAs respectively, both with a bunch of strikeouts, but Scott has issued 16 walks as well. And right-hander Adam Pletko has a 2.08 ERA and 16 relief appearances. 
while left-hander Keegan Aiken will be a candidate for long relief out of the pen if they need it. The rookie has a 6-2-3 ERA and has been groomed to be a starter for most of his minor league career, but has made all of his appearances out of the bullpen so far this season. Nats Park will be expanding to 36% capacity for the first time this homestand. That's roughly 14,500 people allowed in the stadiums. A perfect weekend to get out and watch the Battle of the Beltways. That's going to do it for this series recap. Be sure to tune in to the Orioles series on Masson this weekend. Thank you so much for tuning in to this episode of the Masson All Access Podcast. Be sure to follow and subscribe to the Masson All Access Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and SoundCloud. And check out our live episode each week. Myself and Amy Jennings will be on Facebook, YouTube, or Twitter at Mass Nationals across the board. We'll probably be back on Tuesday afternoon or Wednesday afternoon this upcoming week. And be sure to give at Mass Nationals a follow on all social media accounts and check out Mark Zuckerman's coverage on MassInSports.com. You can also follow me on Twitter. I'm at Bobby underscore Blanco. The next series recap episode will probably drop Sunday night, maybe Monday morning on an off day to recap this O series and look ahead to a three-game series with Sean Doolittle and the Reds next week at Nationals Park. Until then, enjoy the games, and we'll talk to you later. 